first reading is from Paul's epistle to the Philippians, which you can find on page 1178 of the Pew Bibles. I'm starting to read at verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. The, <clears throat> the gospel is found in Matthew chapter 6. I haven't got the page. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. <clears throat> Do not stir up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that this service is really all about your love. We pray that you will open the eyes of our minds and our hearts to know more of what that love really means for us this morning. Amen. I wonder if you have ever watched that program on the BBC called DIY SOS. Have you ever watched it? Lots of nods around the place. But for those of you that haven't, It's a program that comes to the aid of families that have got themselves into a bit of a pickle. Usually, they have enthusiastically embarked on a DIY venture in their home. They have begun well with great gusto, seeking to bring about change to their living circumstances. And they certainly do that. They rip things out and they pull things down. For whatever reason, they then run out of steam. Often, when the program first meets them, the house is in a terrible state. Sometimes whole rooms are just inhabitable. Quite often, the problems arise because the people have underestimated the scale of the task. They have begun without a clear idea of what they wanted to achieve or or even quite how they were going to get there. The desire to, to change was there but perhaps the skill to bring it about or the energy to see it through to a satisfactory conclusion were lacking. Someone who loves and cares for this poor family sends out a call, a DIY SOS, and the team from the program sweep in. They swiftly assess the situation. They identify the precise nature of the problem and they instigate a plan. The situation is always grave, so it's never simply the work of a moment to restore order. But resources are gathered, professional tradesmen are employed, and crucially, a designer takes control. Sometimes there are setbacks along the way, but over the course of a week, the mess that greeted us at the beginning is cleared away, 
new foundations are laid, and after a lot of hard work by all involved, the home is restored to a place of comfort and welcome. The transformation is such that the family often expresses disbelief at the difference, and there are sometimes tears of relief and gratitude. Some of us are very good at starting new projects with enthusiasm. But then after a while, we do run out of steam. It wouldn't surprise me at all to hear that in almost every home represented here, there languishes somewhere a half-knitted jumper, a decorating job that's not quite finished, or a book that someone started to read but never quite seems to get back to. New beginnings are great, but they're rarely enough on their own. Endings matter too. Sir Francis Drake, that famous Englishman from the 16th century, was very clear about this. He is recorded as saying, when God leads us to undertake any great piece of work, it is not the beginning, but the continuing of the same, until it be thoroughly finished that yieldeth the glory. It's quite tricky to say, but absolutely true. He began and finished many great ventures, not least sailing around the world. His experience of life convinced him that finishing well was crucial. Imagine how disappointing, not to mention completely pointless, it would have been to turn back halfway around the world. In our reading this morning from Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi in northern Greece. This was the first place in Europe to hear the good news of the gospel. We can read about that season in Acts 16 if we wish to. But today we are, excuse me, <coughs> but we, today we read that even thinking about these first early churches gives Paul a great deal of joy. <coughs> the letter is written in a tone of confident trust, even though he himself is languishing in prison, possibly in Rome, maybe in Ephesus. We don't really know which, but either way, it was a distance of hundreds of miles away. In spite of his unfortunate circumstances, Paul's letter is infused with a joy that only God can give us as he contemplates these young believers and their desire to follow Christ. The Philippian church has sent Paul a gift of money. So we're at the beginning here of a thank you letter. In those days, prisons did not provide food for their captives. So they relied on friends to see to their needs. Now Paul couldn't pursue his craft of making tents in prison, so he would have been utterly dependent on the kindness of his friends. They, equally, could not simply make a bank transfer or write a check. After raising the funds, someone would have had to make a long and dangerous journey to deliver the gift. It was, in fact, an extraordinary expression of love on their part. So Paul writes to say thank you and to let them know how much he's praying for them. He's thankful of the material support they've offered him, but also of the spiritual support he gains from seeing them flourish. 
in watching them grow in faith, he's filled with joy. The joy he speaks of is not just a smile on his face, it's a peace in his heart as a result of his mind being kept continually on Christ. And that's a kind of joy that no earthly circumstances can shatter. As with each and every new believer, God accepted them as they were and has loved them from the beginning. But when they turned to him as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit began a work of transformation in their lives that changes them from the inside out. He prays that they will be so filled with God's love that, will o- that it will overflow in knowledge and wisdom. To our 21st century mind, this might seem an unusual expression of love. He sees the head and the heart working together, you see. For Paul, Christian love is not just about mushy feelings. Now, you might well feel affection for your Christian brother or sister, but there should be more than that. God's love can also find expression in wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The head and the heart working together to express the generosity of God's love. Secondly, Paul prays that their love will result in greater moral discernment. He prays for them that they will be able to tell right from wrong in a world that really does seem to embrace 50 shades of gray when it comes to moral issues. He prays this so that they might approach the second coming of our Lord with confidence and joy as the whole of their lives is being transformed from the inside out. Rather than just offering them a surface spruce up, the Holy Spirit within them is transforming the whole of their lives, their way of thinking and responding to situations. He's offering a really deep clean so that in the fullness of time, they'll be ready to meet with their Lord, reflecting him more and more every day in the way they live. Finally, Paul prays that they might be filled to overflowing with the fruit of right living, that everything should be done through Jesus and to bring praise and glory to God. We can have confidence that God will do all this because he loves us and he longs for us to become more and more like Jesus so that we, in turn, can share his love with a stricken world. God is not like the human DIY enthusiast embarking on a project without the means or the energy to bring it to completion. The human will can be a bit fickle and blow hot and cold, but our salvation is grounded in God's will, in his spontaneous and unexplainable love for us, Even before we chose to acknowledge him, the Bible tells us he knew us. Before we were even born, he knew us and loved us and sent his only son to die for us so that we might once again enter into right relationship with our heavenly father. That's what 
the communion meal we share is all about. It's an ongoing work of transformation that will take the rest of our lives to complete. Some jobs are just too big to be completed in a day or a week, but they take the whole of our lives to bring to completion. Like the Basilica of the Sagra Familia, that beautiful, extraordinary cathedral building in Barcelona, we, we are a work in progress. It was begun in 1882, and it's still not complete yet. But Gaudi, the architect, really felt it needed to be done right. And he departed from the conventions of the day with a vision bigger than anything anyone could have imagined at the time. It was a vision that couldn't be completed in his lifetime. And it's hoped that it might well be finished by 2026. That's the 100th anniversary of his death. We'll see whether they do it, I suppose. The restoration project of our lives can sometimes feel like a similarly huge task. Our hearts and minds can become bruised and damaged in all sorts of ways when we journey alone. But Paul's message today is quite simple. God loves you. Take a moment to think about that. I feel there is somebody here today who really needs to hear that. God loves you. He loves you just as you are. But he loves you so much that he wants to see you be the best person you can be. And for your relationship with him to be as close as possible. When we accept Jesus as Lord of our lives, the Holy Spirit begins a work of gentle transformation that he will stick at until the end of your days when you meet him in person. Sometimes you might feel aware of huge progress, and that's encouraging and wonderful. And sometimes work might be going on behind the scenes that's foundational to a good finish in the long run. It's not as spectacular, but it's just as necessary. We don't need to worry. He won't give up on us. He knows what he's taken on, and he has promised to see the job to completion. We can share in Paul's confident joy that he who began this good work in us will carry it on to completion, because our assurance is based on God's love, not human determination. As we go out to our picnic and engage with the rest of our day, our week, our month, hold this thought in your heart. God loves me. He has begun a good work in my life and he will finish it because he can be trusted. Amen.